you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another edition of DK Mag Podcast Season 5, Episode 8 And let me tell the listeners out there that we are reaching 7,000 downloads. That is a big accomplishment. And uh, we wish to thank everyone who has taken the time to download and listen to our podcast across all uh, publishing platforms, which is iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Music. And joining me on this podcast are co host Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag, we're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review on DK Mag Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. And also, this is September, so that means Halloween is right around the corner. So stay tuned as we'll be providing some hands-on live coverage of events throughout uh, New York which is one of one of them is blood manor and yeah remember last year uh, how time flies in you last year we went to blood manor uh, for the press opening yes we did indeed it's lots of fun this year's the same of course uh, and the uh, we get to walk through the uh, through blood manor before anyone else does it, that's that's cool because you, you get to wait, look around, absorb the environment. That was pretty cool. Pretty awesome. And the party they have beforehand. I like the party. Even though I'm not a drinker, but they did yeah, have some good they, drinks. Yeah, they try to get you drunk before getting you inside a house to make it a bit more exciting. No, I try to get you drunk. No, I think they try to get people mellow. Mellow? Oh, hmm. There were some people there that kept them <laughs> Those are the drinkers. We, uh, I'm not a drinker, no way. But I'm looking forward to that. We also be covering uh, a new venture in horror, which is called uh, This Is Real. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, without further ado, here is season five, episode eight. Movies, The Purge, The Island Details. Purge, The Island is in production and it has a release date of July 4th, 2018. This is according to James DeMonaco in an interview with Vulture.com. Although actors have not yet been attached to the project, what we do know is that Gerald McMurray is slated to direct. Once released, Purge, The Island will be the second full feature film McMurray directed. His previous credits was the drama Burning Sands for Netflix. McMurray uh, served as associate producer for the drama Fruitville Station. Now, for this next installment for the Purge franchise, it would be a prequel and it will delve into how the Purge was developed by the founding fathers. For those who have not followed the Purge franchise, the founding fathers are the nefarious group that instill the purge in order to clean out the 
common folk, the poor society, so that way they could have riches for themselves. Interesting concept. Well, the backdrop for the purge, the island would take place in New York City, in Staten Island. Incredible. Uh, Here's what the Monaco had to say about that part of the film. I quote, I was wondering how you get people to stay for the first purge. And what they do is, they start monetizing it. People from Staten Island can easily go to Brooklyn for the evening. So what did they do is start promising very decent sums of money for the very poor people in the neighborhood. It becomes a monetization of murder and violence, incentivizing, killing and keeping people around for them to be victims. So you see the inception of how grotesque the idea of the purge is and the manipulation upon the society." Here's some more information on Purge, the island. There will be a new character introduced, and it seems that this person would take the place of Sergeant that was portrayed by actor Frank Grillo. Since Grillo opted not to continue his role, it seems the production are moving forward with the same concept but a similar character, if that makes sense. Here's what the Monaco had to say about this protagonist. Quote, What's fun too is there's an anti-hero. More than the previous film, there's a singular hero in this movie. There is one man's journey. Unquote. I'm confused. Doesn't this sound like The Purge Anarchy? That was a singular hero's tale as well. Sure, there were subplots in The Purge Anarchy, but didn't the film focus on Sargent? To close, the monocle promises Purge the island to be kick-ass. He states, quote, It is so kick-ass in its third act, unquote. My concern here is what happens with Act 1 and 2. This promise makes me think about found footage films and how the best is always reserved for last. And to close out this presentation, one side note, I had mentioned this many times before that Universal, Bloomhouse, and James DeMonaco were being sued for stealing alleged script for The Purge. I did some research, and it's not hard to find if you Google it. Douglas Jordan Bennell wrote Settler's Day, a story about a family surviving a night of statewide sanctioned crime. Since June 20th, 2017, the appellate court have refused to dismiss the case. Douglas Jordan Bennell is suing for breach of contract. He's saying that if his idea was used, he wants to get paid. So what do you guys think about this new film, Purge, The Island? There's so much information here. Inid, what do you think about this? Since you're familiar, you've seen all the Purge films as well. Purge has only been set on an island instead of being worldwide as before. No, the Purge was never set worldwide. It was only in the United States. That's America. Yeah, but now it's on an island instead of being America. Right. Staten Island. New York. City. So they're going to catch everybody that's in Staten Island. Right. So the, so the basic point of the film is that they're starting the Purge in Staten Island. Whoever lives on Staten Island, it, what this reminds me of is that movie, oh, with John Carpenter, Escape from New York, that New York was a prison. It was a, 
encapsulated area. So this is what they're trying to do. I don't know. All the parts, it's the same thing. Nah, part one was different. That was the best one out of all of them. Nah, I think part two because Frank Grillo, you know, I, I, I enjoy Frank Grillo. His yeah, acting. Yeah, but he moved on into better things. Right, even he stopped working on... Uh, on my favorite show is it just got the last season oh man that was that was such a great tv show so stacy what is your opinions on this well um i still have not seen uh any purge besides the first <laughs> you guys know um, way more uh, than I do, but well, since you've seen the first one, you must weigh in some opinion on the court case that's currently going on. Jordan uh, Douglas Jordan Bennell, uh, he wrote Saturday's Day, and the synopsis to his screenplay matches per perfectly with the Purge Part One. I, the, the the lawsuit is pretty straightforward. His idea got taken. He wants to get paid, right? Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what it comes down, what it comes down to. That's it. That's exactly right. And for any screenwriter, they, there's a process. When you write a screenplay, you have to submit it. You know, you get it copyrighted. You have to submit it to. Um, organization for it to be recognized that you're the writer uh, is the writer's guild and yeah once his once his name is on the screenplay uh, basically you, you you know somebody takes your screenplay you gotta sue but here's the thing nobody can sue for an idea so if you have an idea of Wonder Woman and somebody comes out with the idea for Wonder Woman you know that's an idea but if you wrote characters, plot, settings, uh, dialogue, and somebody else takes that, then you have a case. That's okay. right. It's always important to back yourself, copyright yourself. Exactly. So, well, Stacy, you have to watch this franchise. I'm gonna watch because uh, how many are there now? There's three right now, right? The yes. island is the fourth film. Yes. Yeah, I need to watch two and three. I've only watched the first one, and I love the idea. You know, I love the purge. Um, I I didn't I didn't get as much uh, <coughs> as much positive uh, feedback for the second and third. So we're gonna watch them. And but for the Exactly, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say for the second and third. Well mostly the second. And Anid I Anid has some so she was very vocal on some of the subtext that was going on in that film and that uh 
What, what, what was that in you? Uh, why do... Uh, why did the main character, since he's Caucasian, he had to rescue... Uh, the... Uh, oh, the Spanish girl. The Spanish girl. And they had to be so coward-like. That's the how Spanish people are. Right. Well, Latina. Latina. Latinas. Yeah. <laughs> Latina. Right. <clears throat> and, and her mom. Oh, any women. Yeah, that was so stereotypical for that film. And uh, and then that guy, uh, the name escapes me, but he always plays the, the bad guy. In, or he always plays a stereotype Mexican bad guy. You know which one I'm talking about, right? The, the, the gordito guy, he's Mexican. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, he's always plays those stereotype roles. But aside from that, I enjoy Frank Grillo. A uh, very cool actor. You just like him because he's Yeah, he's, he's the one that brought the purge to the next level. Come on. Exactly. Going on the next level. Yeah. But still, I'm, I'm still, I'm still uh, disappointed that uh, the TV show kingdom was uh, uh it just finished it was so good in that tv show they should make a movie no one kingdom yeah yeah it would be nice definitely the crow reborn details some news has surfaced about the movie the crow samuel hadidas davis films Highline Film Group and Electric Shadow have acquired the rights to finance, produce, and distribute the new film, The Crow Reborn. The Crow franchise is based on all bars novel. This movie will be produced by Pressman along with Hadidas and Mission. Sony will distribute worldwide and Highline Film Group will sell international rights. Stay tuned to DK Map for more. What you guys think about this new pro franchise? That was a fast presentation. Yes. Who's playing the crow this time? Yeah, that's a good. You know, that's a great answer because nobody knows. There's not too much out there about it. Just that um, Samuel Hadidas and everybody else have acquired and has finance, but. Across the board, yeah. Nothing yet, no updates. But you, as you do know, this is a topic that has been floating around for the past two years, and the actors, even Jason uh, Mamosa, was supposed to play the role of the crow at one point, and a slate of other actors, and then they little by one by one they dropped out. One, two, three, they dropped out because the crow movie wasn't moving forward and now you have the crow reborn yep so now they have He's sony been reborn again how could you be reborn if you were already reborn that's i mean he right he no he passed away he came back to life and now he's reborn again that's like it's crazy anyway so stacy i have are you familiar with the crow please say that you are 
Uh, yes, I am familiar with the crow. So, which one have you seen? The first one. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the only one you need to see. That the the sequel was with Vincent Perez. It was it was okay. It wasn't as good oh, as the wait, first. I'm trying because there was uh was Tara Reid in the first one. What? Tara Reid? Oh, you no, think it's Sharknado? Saw, I saw the first one, but I saw another one with Tara Reid. Oh, that's part three or four. Oh, I'm not sure. Three. Was the City of Angels? Um, City of Angels would be part two. Yeah. And uh, I know one of them also has Tara Reed. That was the um, 2005, The Crow. It's uh, Wicked, Wicked Prayer. Yes, Wicked Prayer. That's the one. Uh, okay, so then I guess I saw the first one and then part five. Wow, I'm missing a few of them in there, aren't I? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that that also starred uh, Tito Ortiz, the uh, current. I think he's current. I think he's. I think he's still in Bellator. But Tito Ortiz, uh, he was in that film. And uh, yeah, that that's wow. That was one of the lowest points of the Crow franchise after Part Two, because they also had the TV show in which the Crow had he had to find a day job. Imagine that. You know, that, is, that shit don't make sense. You should. Like I said, let's wait and see what's going on. Oh, you know how it's gonna go. Down the hill. Of course. The Crow, come on. Brandon Lee did an excellent role in that film. Oh, there you have it. Now you know. We here at DK Mag, we the ones who said it's going down the hill. Yeah, yeah. But you see what happened in it? The, the, the report says they have financers, they have the movie production, uh, film production crew behind it. They have everything. They have everything. But nothing has been done yet. Yeah, so. but, and then, you know, what's going on here is I say, look, we have backers, we have Sony, we have this, we have that. Look, there's a lot of names attached. Let's get some good actors now. Nah, it's not going to work. It's not gonna happen. No. You know what would be a good idea though? An animated film. Like well, right here in IMDb is showing Jason Momoa as Eric Draven the Crow and Reborn. Ah, so I guess he's still attached. Yeah, that's what it's showing IMDb. So far that's I mean, that's all you got director and writers, but He's the only cast member listed in IMDb right now. Yeah, nobody else wants to take on a role. <laughs> but he's too. But he is not. I mean, wasn't he in the? What what film was? Wasn't he in? Uh, Bad Batch. Yeah, he was in Bad Batch. But previous to that, he was in. You need your favorite TV show. What was it? Baywatch. Uh, <laughs> True Blood. Wasn't he True in True Blood? Blood? Baywatch. Wasn't he in True Blood? I think he was in True Blood. It's a long time ago and you expect me to remember. That wasn't a long time ago. It used to watch it used to kill me with that show. Oh my gosh. 
Got his he got his start before uh, the Bad Batch. He was doing yeah, LSD. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. That's the one. Right, right, right. Yeah, he started on Game of Thrones and then the Bad Batch. Stargate Batch. Atlantis. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Oh yeah but jason mimosa cannot play eric draven he's too he's too big of a of a guy what is his stats there on imdb doesn't it say how tall he is how b- uh, he's a big guy i mean the crow is supposed to be a regular average guy you know that acquires superpowers so now you gotta put like a, a guy who has a professional wrestler physique as the crow. That's like, come on, really? Well, what are they gonna do I, next? Isn't that what they're doing nowadays? I mean, like, look at Rob Zombie's Halloween. How he went from Michael Myers being like no bigger than me to you know this. <laughs> who's who plays um, Michael Myers? Is a Tyler something? And he's a W. I mean, wasn't he a wrestler? Uh, let's see. We like, could... Isn't that what they're doing now? They're getting, like, all these wrestlers are filling these roles. Well, Tyler Main was Michael Myers for that film. And he's an actor. Yeah, he's an actor. It doesn't say here that he's uh, anything else but... Did it, did it? No? He's, uh... Okay, here it is. So Jason Momoa is 6'4". 6'4". Honey. Neat. The crow is 6'4". Does that work for you? That does not work. No, wasn't this guy short? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The crow is supposed to be a regular average guy who just gets reborn and has, you know, he can't die. He's 6'4". And now you have a 6'4", 6'4", guy, actor, playing Eric Draven or whatever the character is going to be, the crow. It's not going to work. Just he's just too tall I mean find some other character yeah find a find a martial artist a, a stuntman because you know stuntmen they can they transition over from stuntmen to to actors and they do a good job uh, find a stuntman who's uh, adequate height five, six foot five ten you know good physique and he could play the crow. I mean, I'm not saying that that would just make a huge difference. This is a shitty idea of reboot. But at least, you know, the crow wouldn't look like a, a, a freaking professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably. Uh, I pick this up and put them down. Exactly. Pick this up and put them down. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Any final thoughts on this, in, um, Stacy? No. <laughs> <laughs> Should I do? All right, moving along. Thanks. Forty-seven meters down. Sequel. Forty-eight meters down is in the works. Johans Roberts will return to write and direct. This facility is producing and financing the project. 
filming will take place in Brazil. It will follow a group of girls looking for adventure in the coastal metropolis of Recife. Hoping to get off the well-worn tourist trail, they hear about some hidden underwater ruins only to find that the turquoise waves of their secret Atlantis aren't completely uninhabited. Uh, now guys, I, I did not see 47 meters down yet, um, but I'm hearing it's getting good reviews. What did you guys think about 47 meters down? What do you think about this remake? Or not remake, the sequel. Sequel. Need have you seen 47 meters down yet? No. I haven't seen it either. Ooh, we got one in a book. Yeah, we got one in the books. We got one in the queue. I think the tables are turned. Stacy's like, yes! Right. I got one over well, there. Saying here that 47 meters down, um, it says that I think it did like 44 million in the domestic box office and more than 53 million globally. So that's pretty good. Those are not bad statistics. And 47 meters down follows the typical uh narrative of these films that put the main characters in a situation that they cannot get out of you have frozen you have i think it was uh what was that other film that they got trapped in the sauna uh 103 degrees i believe it's, it's called. i think it was 347 wasn't it? something like that i mean something degrees and they got trapped yeah. in the sauna uh, there's other films out there with the same premise and in this case it's two women who get trapped 47 meters down and there's sharks all around them. Uh, I haven't seen the film. I think we've seen the trailer. Any? Four. 47 meters down. Remember, uh, two women, they, they go down in a cage and the cage, the, the cord snaps and they're trapped down below. Oh, yes. But, you know, the way that the the narrative continued for that you know placing them in that situation it just didn't make sense because the guys who put them there in the first place oh there they had an illegal business running because they could have easily called the cops exactly. and say hey we have two caucasian women trapped in the ocean at the bottom of the ocean the, the officers would call the coast guard no but the officer hey listen two caucasian <laughs> women are trapped at the bottom of the ocean the officials will be there in like 30 seconds. Uh, Jiffy, exactly. Movies, uh, movies done. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's the way reality is. Point me. But um, I'm not sure how that film developed. Did you get to see that, Stacey? 47 meters down? Yeah. Or, no, no, no. I, I haven't seen it yet. I have it saved to my watch list. I don't mean to go back to it, but the infinite watch list <laughs> right i'm telling you it's uh and i actually i started tackling it like i'm like i got i got two movies that i gotta take off that list <laughs> oh my gosh you know what so now i'm down to 400 and 400 and what 
You hear this? Yes. You hear this? This is the four so drawing. <laughs> but you hear this, Anita? She says she's she never gonna end up watching <laughs> the movies because it's four hundred <laughs> something. She says she tackled two, but she has four hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Tuesdays is dedicated to American Horror Story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm keeping up on that one. Yep. I'm keeping up on American Horror Story. That first episode when it went in with a bang. So hopefully, it don't die down like a lot of shows do. Like the first uh, episode is like it's like a bang, and then after it's like okay, it just died down. Like come on, <laughs> when are you gonna get back up here? Exactly. Well, Anita, you have not seen the first episode for American Horror Story. Have not. No. Guilty. No. Nope. It started. It, started it didn't record. No, it didn't record. No. Oh my gosh! You see, that's what happens when you're recording the telenovela. Shut up. Oh my gosh. It's only two hours. Two hours? What the novela? Of recording. Oh my gosh. And it doesn't come, it doesn't even make because you could do five five things recording at the same time. So it's only one thing. So what are you recording that it's taking up the time? Well, Ooh. the Ultimate Fighter starts on Wednesday. So that's not my problem there for Tuesday. Mine either. <laughs> but go, you see, we strayed away from the topic. 47 meters down. Uh, does it merit a sequel? Oh, uh, that's your favorite line. Yeah. Well, since I haven't seen the first one and I'm just going by the trailers, I wouldn't, I don't have a, a adequate analysis if it deserves a sequel or not. But all I can say is I hope it doesn't play the same thing that you see in part one. Because then it, it makes no sense if you're going to be repeating the same narrative over and over again. Yeah, all they're doing is changing the location. <laughs> right. Like, come on. I didn't know, but now, did you get it from the uh, synopsis? <laughs> they hear about hidden underwater ruins. Only to find that the turquoise waves of their secret Atlantis aren't completely in the So, it's like, all right, here's where you think, okay. I've seen enough horror movies to know that... If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So when someone is telling you about this magical place, it's like, yeah, no, don't go there. Right. Just don't. Like, we, we learned that in The Descent. If it's not on the map, <laughs> something that's not on the map, or is not a well-traveled place, no, don't go there. Exactly. Well, uh, I guess they try so, to build on a story here. Because if, yeah. <laughs> if, if that's the case, you have archaeologists, you have e treasure hunters, you have expert people who would dive down to see. But a regular average Joe, even if you have experience in diving, why would you want to risk your life for something that's not there? That's how we close it out. Well, here we are, like, this movie is already being um, made on bad ideas. <laughs> Very bad ideas. I think 90% this of... Made on bad ideas. 90% <laughs> right. of horror movies are bad ideas. <laughs> are made of bad ideas. Bad, bad. <laughs> So when you read this adopted, you just shake your head like, wait, what? 
like, all right, so pretty much they're making this off of a bad idea. Like, that is a bad idea. Do not do that. Don't. And they're still making that movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They're like, we're going to, we're going to uh, play with dangerous waters. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's another movie that involved someone being abandoned in an isolated area. It was called what? Uh, uh, waters. What was it? Those sharks around here. Dangerous waters. Dark waters. Dark uh, waters. Water, isn't that like the newer movie? The what? The waters. Shallow water. water. That new movie about what is it? What the waters bring? Are you talking about that, or is it an older movie? Uh, no, it's pretty recent. Yeah, that's the movie that she was left over, stranded from a, like a boat, I think they sent it. And then from there, she tried to get on a whale, dead whale, and then the shark tried to get her, and then she got on a raft, that one. Yes, that's another one. I think people, I think the new theme for Hollywood is to make sharks, uh, to make people afraid of sharks again. Joy. But you know what? Shark, like sharks are scary, right? Sharks can be scary. Yeah. Uh, but now in cinema, it's just being done a little bit too much. So it's like, all right. Now, what can you bring to the table that Barracuda had? What was that film that like? <laughs> I mean, you had Deep Blue Sea. Uh, you got what was that? It was like a sci-fi film, but y'all y'all didn't really watch sci-fi that much. It was called Barracuda or something <laughs> like that. But the, or what's Meg, right? You got Meg and now the giant, was she a giant shark or is she a giant something? Yes, it's a giant shark. Uh, yeah, giant shark, Meg. And then that's got to be one of the biggest sharks in cinema, in cinema, right? Yeah, they're trying to uh, emulate uh, a prehistoric shark that's supposed to be extinct and it's, uh, it's alive. So when you think about that movie, it's like, okay, like now, what, what can you bring that has not already been done? <laughs> exactly. And uh, I did a little, I did a little cheating, and the film I'm talking about is called Open Water, in 2003. Oh yeah, I remember right. that movie. But Great. check this out. But that was based on true events, though, right? Right. Yeah. But check this out in 2006 you have open water 2 and in 2017 open water 3 oh wow they they got they have two sequels and and open are they, water are there, huh? and open water part three look at this poster in here open water three what does that remind you of look at this poster jaws. it's jaws i mean that's a direct ripoff Whoever designed that poster should be fired. I mean, that's copyright infringement right there. <laughs> yes, that's right. Copyright infringement. Yeah. I know Stacy's looking forward to 40, 47 meters down, part four. Yeah. Um, I still have to watch the first movie, but... I said, sharks, sharks are scary. They're terrifying. Yeah, but when it's being done over and over, it's like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen this film already. Yeah, give it a rest. That, yeah, that's where it needs uh, line come in. Let's wait and see. Because we really just got to wait and see. 
I gotta watch the first movie before that one comes out too, just to make sure they're not pretty much doing the same film. Exactly. <laughs> so what's it need? What's the favorite line? <laughs> a whole song. It'll probably be a song pretty soon. <laughs> That's gonna be like the hook to a song. Yep. <laughs> you gotta hashtag that shit. That's right. Right. Hashtag Wow. Dracula prequel Dracul in the works. Dracula gets a backstory film and this is according to the latest report from Deadline. Paramount Pictures acquired the backstory tale to Dracula with the film Dracul. The screen rights were obtained from the source itself, the estate of Bram Stoker. Although the project is in early, early, very early stages of pre-production, director Andy Muschietti is eyed to helm this prequel to Dracul. Producers Barbara Muschietti and Roy Lee, who have worked on Stephen King's It, are also, at this point, they are on board. So the synopsis for Dracul reads as follows. The tale is set in 1868, where a 61-year-old Bram Stoker meets with an ungodly evil that he traps in an ancient tower, all the while scribbling the events that lead him there. Uh, so it needs Stacy. What do you think about this? I, I, I'm looking forward to this. You know why? Because it's coming straight from the source, Bram Stoker. But this is coming straight from the source. This is not somebody who wrote a Dracula movie. This is the prequel for Dracula. That's the point right there. That's it doesn't matter. There's still many, many, many Dracula movies. Like, come up with something different. Why prequel? Do something different. Do something different like what? Twilight? No, funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that was different. That was proven different. That, I mean, that was diamond different. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Diamond different. Oh my sparkle, god. Sparkle, sparkle, diamond. Twinkle, twinkle, little twinkle, star. Twinkle, yes. Oh wow. So Stacy, what do you think about this uh, new um, idea? I think it's a good idea. Uh, I have not seen Bram Stoker's Dracula yet. And I have the movie. I bought the movie some years ago and I haven't even watched it yet. Um, but I do like Dracula movies. I like vampire movies. Um, so I think this is a good idea. And Andy Muschietti, he's a great director. Um, have you guys seen it yet? We have not seen it yet. Uh, no, but we did cover it. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Uh, the first film was really good. I am still in the process of reading the novel, so I can't really compare it to the novel yet. But uh, with the 1990 movie in mind, it's it's so different. 
I mean, everything is different. The whole story is pretty much different. Um, you know, uh, the casting was awesome. Everybody did good. Pennywise is good. You know, he's good. But the movie is just so much darker. Way darker than uh, the 1990 movie. But you yeah. know, uh, if you if you look, all the movies that are coming out now, remakes are well good remakes which is like Batman which always gets remakes and that's acceptable because it's a it's a superhero movie and all superhero movies get remakes you see Batman is darker than let's say the versions that were made in the in the 90s and I wouldn't be so surprised if they had that same application with this uh, Dracula prequel I personally enjoyed uh, Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula. That was that was released in 1992, and oh, Gary Oldman played up. That Dracula was amazing. That it made you connect with the character, and Dracula did not seem like a a, a bad guy, the antagonist. You would really connect with this character because he was suffering for his losses and what he wanted. So I'm eager to see what they do with Dracula. Yeah, I mean, and it's like I said, it's coming from the source, Bram Stoker. Yeah, that's that's a really good sound. And the 1992 film—that's the one that you have that you have not watched, Stacy. That's the one. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is that the year then? Hold on, let me. Yeah, that's the that's the one that has on the poster has like a uh, a gargoyle uh, uh, figure. No, that's not the one. Then I don't think. Uh, um. Oh wait a minute. If, you know, if that's Bram Stoker, then. <coughs> because there have been many versions, but that's the most recent, the 1992 version. Well, see, the one that I have the. Gary Oldman isn't isn't Dracula. This is an older movie. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, so many this variations. This is an older Dracula movie. Um. And yeah. Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi is Dracula. Oh wow! You have one of the classics right there. That's a classic. Yeah. 1931. That's the one that I have that I still have yet to watch. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a classic. But definitely check out the uh, the 1992 version. Uh, that's it's very a uh, uh, it's a passionate film. And uh, yeah, this the visuals are are amazing. So we could conclude that I am looking forward to it. Stacy's looking forward to it. I am. Yeah, but Anita is not looking forward to it. <laughs> No. <laughs> need prefers the twinkling vampires. What? No, no, <laughs> let's wait and see. <laughs> yeah, let's wait and see. <laughs> you guys love it. <laughs> well, yeah, you have to wait and see. Especially when the trailer shows up. That gives you an idea of the cinematography. Topic.
QuakeCon 2017. Wolfenstein 2. The New Colossus Interview with Jens Matiz, Creative Director. Like a vision out of Dante's Inferno. Monsters did this. Not monsters. Men. America? I guess they don't have the fighting spirit no more. They just do whatever the fucking Fuhrer tells them to do. From Thursday, August 24th to Friday, August 25th, I had the pleasure to attend QuakeCon in Grapevine, Texas, held at the Gaylord Texas Resort and Convention Center. The convention was a first for me. I had never been into a video game convention and everything was as I had imagined. On display were sources from NVIDIA, but bulk of the event was to showcase the upcoming releases from Bethesda Software. We have Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, Dishonored, Death of the Outsider, and The Evil Within. All titles would be upcoming in October 2017. On Friday, I had the opportunity to have a first exclusive hands-on gameplay with The Evil Within 2. I also partook in playing Dishonored Death of the Outsider. In addition to the gameplay, I had the opportunity to interview Sunji Mikami, Studio Director for The Evil Within 2, and John Jonas, Game Director, and Trent Haga. You could catch that interview in our last podcast. In this podcast, I'll be presenting an interview with Wolfenstein 2, the New Colossus, Creative Director, Jens Matthies. And in this interview, I had the opportunity to ask Mr. Matthies on his views on Wolfenstein 2. Now, I have to admit, I have not played Wolfenstein since its first release back in the Eon years ago and that was via PC. Since then, uh, it I have not played it, I have to confess, but having the hands-on approach, the hands-on gameplay, it definitely, I could see the advancements of the technology and in every single detail. I mean, everything is revamped, of course, because we're talking a span of 15 years, but for the uh, aside from the visual aesthetics the gameplay and what the the overall theme from Wolfenstein that's what I'm referring to S and also be sure to log in to dkmag.com that is d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g.com for pictures that I took at this event and I am deeply honored it, it was a great pleasure to have the opportunity to fly from New York to Texas to partake in QuakeCon. I, I'm, I'm blown away and I extend wholehearted uh, appreciation and thank you for 
And I would like to thank one particular person, Liz, for making this all possible and to fly out from New York all the way to Texas to uh, to partake in QuakeCon. Oh man, what, what an experience, I tell you. When they refer to Texas having everything large-sized, uh, they weren't joking. If you can see from the pictures, they were large-sized boots and burgers. Well, I didn't take a picture of the burger, but yeah. Not to stray away from the topic, um, please stay tuned for our interview with Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus creative director, Jens Matthies. I'll start off with a brief introduction. My name is Ken Artuz. I'm an editor for DK Mag. And uh, please give your name and uh, your contributions for Wolfenstein. My name is Jens Mottis. I'm the creative director of Machine Games. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening, uh, this afternoon at uh, QuakeCon. Uh, one question. Um, what was the creative direction in creating this visual medium, especially now since the landscape has changed with uh, action and survival horror integrating? Yeah, we, uh, this game takes place uh, on American soil uh, for the most part, so uh, we, we were really sort of on early on when we started thinking about what would happen if the Nazis won the war and they took over the world and we moved the timeline forward so it's not no longer during the war but it's um, sort of uh, le a few decades decades later so uh, this game takes place in the 1960s and it's the America of the 1960s but it's under Nazi oppression and we were so so we wonder what would that look like and what would that look like culturally for us, that was really interesting. So uh, uh, that that was how that exploration started, and so we spent a lot of time sort of looking at classic Americana of that time and sort of Nazi propaganda, and seeing how would the Nazis subvert uh, American culture to sort of take take over the country. Thank you. And um, this is not the first time we've seen this concept. It's actually a, a, a TV series that explores this concept. Why this exploration on the what if? Uh, well, I think I, I'm always uh, attracted to what if scenarios. Um, Especially when the stakes are really high, because uh, of course it could have happened. You know, uh, if if the Nazis had won the war, then the world would be a drastically different place. And so, um, I don't know. As a as a creative person, I think that's uh, just a very interesting uh, uh, challenge to explore. Thank you, and. Of course, we know Wolfenstein has a rich history dating back, what, 20 years. Uh, how do you best sum up the evolution of this title? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's, that, that was also a challenge for us when we started working on it because it's been uh, worked on by a number of different developers over the years. So, and so we had to really get at what is sort of the root of Wolfenstein. Um, and uh, the way we approached that was to look at id Software's original Wolfenstein 3D and see uh, what are 
what are the, the key ideas that underpins this game and, and those are the ones that we really uh, gravitated towards and, and built upon when we did our version. Thank you. As a matter of fact, that was one of the first games that I had played on the PC. I was like, wow, it really blew my mind. So I'm glad to see that the progression of the game has built up. Um, what is your opinion on other games that have started but has declined over the years, especially with the same type of aesthetic? Uh, we have games, um, let's say Doom. It started out okay, but the community... They have uh, mixed reviews on the current state of how it's been developed now. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't share that opinion. I think the new Doom is super cool. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, it all depends on who's behind the wheel, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned that many developers have had their input on Wolfenstein. Do you see that as a, a a good thing, different creative visions, or is there a conflict along the way of creative vision? Well, I think if you're working on something that is an established IP, you uh, you always have to have to sort of contain what your version of that is supposed to be. So I don't think it's never, or I don't think it's ever a bad thing to see other people's points of view on on uh, on on the on, you know for example uh, on, on the Wolfenstein game but for us uh, the the only thing that's important is what do we want to do with it right so thank you and uh, so now the, the the game is going to release what is in the future what uh, what DLCs are in mind uh, for future releases or other installments for this chapter. And we always uh, envisioned uh, our uh, take on Wolfenstein as a trilogy. So, um, so we started thinking about this game, the New Colossus, already when we were making the New Order. So we've seeded a lot of ideas within the New Order that we can catch in now that we're making this game. Uh, and and so the dream, of course, is to uh, to to finish the trilogy with a third game. But uh, of course, that depends on how well this one does financially. Okay, financials is also the number one thing. Um, with with the current landscape now, we have different games um, creating not not the same content, but there's a lot of games now in the industry that offer the same type of gameplay. Where does Wolfenstein stand. Well, I'm not sure there are any games out there really that does what we do anymore, um, because uh, games that are solely focused on like really uh, intense narrative storytelling in in, in first-person shooter, I don't think there are really any other out there anymore. Um, so I feel pretty uh, pretty confident that. Uh, uh, the, the market for sure isn't oversaturated with the kind of experience that we provide. Great. And what will uh, gamers expect once they put the disc in the system? What is the first thing that's going to capture their attention? Well, I think uh, our goal is always that to, to, to suck the player into our game world. And, uh, and, and so the dream is always to, to make a game that 
when you sit down you get wrapped up in in everything that's happening and you just keep playing until you reach the end um, and i feel very good about uh, where we're going with this game i think for sure it's the strongest game we've ever made great how important is the story many games they don't offer a story let's say call of duty you have a story narrative but people purchase it just for the multiplayer aspect how important is the story for this game uh, i think it depends on the game like uh, we for us uh, our philosophy is basically if you have a story in the game you are obligated to make something really good uh, out of it uh, and we spend a lot of time thinking about how to marry the narrative and the gameplay um, and a lot of our early discussions around what the game is going to be is about redefining that ultimate pacing between narrative peaks and, and uh, gameplay peaks. Um, and, so, and so when we build a game it is crucial that uh, all of those considerations are sort of built at the same time and are in harmony with each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And if you care to sum up uh, Wolfenstein in in your own words, uh, how would that be? Uh, well, this game, we, our theme was catharsis, uh, and uh, I think uh, when you play it, you will, uh, you will get a sense of why that is. Thank you. And also, from a different perspective, we talk about story. Uh, what about the multiplayer, the, the, the physical engagement there? Um, how do you describe that? Uh, more intense as how it was before? Or uh, is it... How do you compare it to the other titles? Uh, yeah, we made the decision early on that we would never be able to uh, make the game as strong as it could be if we did both single-player and multiplayer. So mm -hmm. we... we we feel that we're best when the whole team is just completely focused on doing one thing and so uh, this game is single player only uh, just like the first one good thank you thank you so much and uh best of luck on this release uh, i'm actually looking forward to it i haven't played it I, I played a little bit of the, the the last release but of course you know time constraints you don't have time but yes, definitely looking forward to playing this. Thank you for your time. Amazing. Trailer first impressions. Insidious. The last key. In Insidious, The Last Key, parapsychologist Dr. Elise Rainier faces her most fearsome and personal haunting yet in her own family home. In this newest installment in the trilogy, it is set to release in theaters on January 5, 2018, directed by Adam Robitel, Lee Wannell, 
script. Produced by Jason Blum, Oren, Pan- Oren Pete Pelly, and James Wong. The cast stars Lynn Shay, Angus Sampson, Lee Wanell, Josh Stewart, and Javier Botet. And the trailer is dark and creepy, it's very intense. I remember the first Insidious film being just as intense, though I have not seen the second film yet. And if I'm not mistaken, there's actually quite a few in this uh, franchise, or is The Last Key the third film? The Last Key is the fourth film, uh, Insidious Part 1, released in 2008, Part 2, 2013, Part 3, two years later. No, it's correction. Part Part One released in 2010. Uh, 2013 was Part Two. 2015 was Part Three, and now you have this one. Yeah, I um, I've only seen the first Insidious, and I thought it was scary, especially that red demon. Like after watching that movie, I found it hard to go to sleep. Because I kept seeing that demon's face in my, like as I was trying to sleep. Um, so this trailer for The Last Key was just, it started off terrifying. What did you guys think about this trailer? Indeed, what did you think about this trailer? I want to hear your opinions on it. Because I walked in Ooh. on you while you were watching it. <laughs> oh my God, really. Having somebody with a hand to have Put it as this. <clears throat> Put it as this. At least they don't say I left my keys at home and they could go mm-hmm, home and open the door. Yeah, and she have the key to shut somebody up when she went and put her key in the girl's throat and ah! well, I bet a lot of people would like to do that to their bosses or something. Put a key in their yeah, throat. Yeah, bosses, spouses, girlfriends, you name it. So I take it in it. You did not like the trailer. I don't know the sarcasm. What sarcasm? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> I, on the other hand, I am not easily swayed by trailers. But uh, what I look for in trailers are the cinematography, the acting, the visuals, practical effects, or CGI. Uh, most people just go by the trailer and say, "Oh my gosh, this this looks so good," but define what looks good to you uh you have to break down the trailer into its complexities uh so for insidious the last key for me what really stuck out is the narrative you have a good ghost story going on in this film i i particularly am attracted to that Uh, remember insidious is not a horror film per se it is a supernatural thriller it is a ghost story each of them are ghost stories uh so this one i'm i'm impressed it 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 looks good from a story point of view for you my look it it is all subjective so what mm-hmm. what I see in the story, someone else would uh, would not see it as that. And they'll say, "Oh my gosh, look at the 
just like how you said, you're not keen on the fingers being keys. Yes, coincidence, the last key. So what? They gonna go through five characters because it's five fake five keys. So it's character one. I'm gonna shut your mouth. Character two is two is gonna be one. I have no idea. I did not see it that way. Uh, so Stacy, what I mean, come on. Uh, you've seen part one. You haven't seen the rest, but what is it? How does it stand out with you? Well, as I said, it's very, uh, it's very dark, and to me, it's terrifying. Uh, the trailer, like that first scene where he was sticking the key in her, I was just like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> like the whole trailer pretty much just jumps off from there yeah you know what and that's bad because a lot of people would say you're presenting all the good scenes in the trailer yeah and that's what they do with a lot of trailers they present all the good scenes and then the movie comes and you're just like huh <laughs> like <laughs> we know, see. or that good scene don't come up until like later on the <coughs> Yeah, we see plenty of movies where we see the trailer and we're like, oh my god, that looks awesome. But then when we go to see the actual movie, we're like, what the f? I mean, you can say fuck, babe. Come on, this is a, uh, this is not a kitty. What, what the, the fuck? There you go. Yeah, but listen, Lee Wanell. A lot of people are uh, recognized. Uh, a lot of people recognize. Oh, Oops, you lost your edge. <laughs> you lost it right there. <laughs> A lot of people recognize James Wan for his contributions into horror. But many fail to realize that uh, James Wanell, Lee Wanell, excuse me, he also is a big contributor in the horror scene. And James Wan and James Wanell started with Saw, and both have evolved from there. And Lee Wanell is the writer, and he, uh, before that, he's wrote, written many horror films that are notable. He also stars in this film. But some of the other films that uh, Lee, Lee Wanell has directed was Saw so, 2, 3, uh, Death Sentence, Rays. I mean, come on. Uh, the writing has to be good in this one in comparison to the others. Did, he did do Insidious Chapter 2 and Insidious Chapter 3. Well, um, let me confirm this before I say this. <laughs> um, now, I was just going to say, didn't he... Well, Insidious oh, Chapter okay, 3. No, no, no. I was... Yeah, no, I'm thinking... Of, okay. No, I was just going to say, didn't he uh, write or... Like co-write the Conjuring or have some part of the Conjuring, but no, <clears throat> no, not the Conjuring. Hey, 
he, he's, uh, he's written Saw. He's written Saw 2, Saw 3. Death, Dead Silence. With, I think Dead Silence is where James Wan and Lee Wanell ventured into the supernatural. I think that was the first film that they uh, tried to experiment. And I'm not sure if Dead Silence was good or not. I don't remember. But after that, I mean, Insidious, that just took off. Like Oh, Dead Silence is good. That's what the, the uh, creepy dummy, right? Right. Well, and creep- Mary Shaw, beware the stare of Mary Shaw. Right. She had no children, only dogs. Yeah. Yeah, um, be sure that you never, ever scream. I used to know that whole poem. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, Dead Silence is a good film. It's creepy. Yeah, I, I haven't... I've, I've seen just the Act 2 and 3. I haven't seen the beginning. That's I haven't seen how it starts. But, uh, yeah. So, Anid does not like this film. I think it's good. I think it's good. Uh, Stacy, uh, you think it's good, correct? Well, you gotta have at least somebody in the group saying something negative about it. Uh, Stacy likes it. So Stacy, you enjoyed the this latest Insidious film, correct? Um. Well, the trailer, actually. Uh, yes, I enjoyed the trailer. Well, here's a little tidbit. Insidious, the last key, is going to release in January. So we need what films release in January? The ones that are not doing any exactly every film that releases in january is a dumping ground for films that the film production uh, the film distributors do not have faith in so if they're releasing this in january that means that they know this film is not going to do good so either they they should quit making insidious films or just count their losses as a loss yeah, that's that's one on one on film releases. Gerald's game. This is gonna be good for us, Jess. Really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in, get comfy. you think your husband will be back any minute try to go for help there's no one for miles gerald i'm sorry baby you don't get to know my name i don't like this i'm serious stop like that the trailer for gerald's game starts with a happy couple on their nice big home then all of a sudden they're in the bedroom and they decide to play a little naughty game so the wife gets handcuffed on the bed frame and then he starts getting kind of rough and then all of a sudden she indicates that she don't like what he's doing so then like any other husband he's like oh it's all a joke so then after that all of a sudden the man catches what it seems like a heart attack 
And then the wife states, handcuffed on the bed with no one around, no neighbors, and no one to help her out but herself. So what would you think she do next? Here's a little bit on those synapses. While trying to spice up, up their marriage, in their remote lake house, Jessie must fight to survive when her husband dies unexpectedly, leaving her handcuffed to their bed frame. This movie is directed by Mike Flanagan. It's based on Stephen King's novel and stars Carla Galino, Henry Thomas, and Louis Gingrich. What do you guys think about this little naughty playing game movie? Uh, Stacy, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, I must say that I'm excited for this movie. I actually, I have the book, Joe's Game book, and I, it's buried somewhere. I can't find it. <laughs> but uh, I started reading it, and I fell asleep on the same part three Uh-oh. times. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad or anything like that. I'm just saying I fell apart on the same part three times. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but uh, it's um, it's an intriguing story. Um, I guess it's supposed to be this woman, and now we go to to a uh, isolated cabin, and he likes those, you know, bondage games, those sexual bondage games. So when she doesn't want it, uh, she's telling him, I don't want this, get off of me. And actually in the book, she kicks him, and then he has a, a heart attack. And then he falls off the bed, and meanwhile, she's still up there, you know, handcuffed. I've gotten this far in the book. He, he's handcuffed, and she has um, hallucinations. Hallucinations of, like, uh, with a, a friend of hers, uh, conversations with a friend of hers and stuff like that. And then, I guess, animals come in and feed on his body as she's, like, handcuffed there. But also, I guess they're supposed to be a some kind of madman or serial killer running about in the area as well. Wow. So, yeah, this is what I've heard uh, about the book. That's what I've heard. So, actually, the book is supposed to have a lot going on to it that I still have to read from beginning to end. But, um, but yeah, I hear the book is uh, really... And actually, I've read an article some time ago that they wouldn't make it a movie because of what goes on in the book. So it was very shocking to see that it's finally being made a movie. Well, this is an example of bondage play gone wrong. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely. I, I would like to know what was going on Stephen King's mind when he was writing this book. Because he always, when he writes a book, it's based on his environment, his experiences. So I, I'm just in a humorous way thinking, what did Stephen King go through when he wrote this book? And was did it involve a bondage play gone wrong? Find this thing gone very wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, wow. First, first of all, if you're going to get handcuffed to a bed, uh, usually for novice 
uh, couples who partake in these type of uh, sexual play, usually they have the fuzzy uh, handcuffs. You know the ones they need, the, the ones that have those, those fur around. Yeah, so the little good. play ones that you could just open them without getting a key or anything like that. The little play ones. Right, and and for those, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, those type of handcuffs, since uh, whoever is getting handcuffed, they, there's a button on it, or there's a there's a way that you could move your wrist and you could escape from them because, you know, since they're not experienced in that type of gameplay, they could just escape. But in this film, they're going straight into the, the, the handcuffs. Like, for real. That's, that's hardcore right there. You should have had the key. Well, um, in the trailer, she gets some memories from him, which is kind of trying to tell her how to get out the handcuffs. Yeah, and uh, at first, I thought the actor who had the heart attack, I thought that was Sam Neill because he looks exactly like Sam Neill and uh, from Event Horizon, remember, Enid? Yes. He looks like him. Bruce, I always get them confused. So I thought that was Sam Neill. I was about to say, wow, he always plays the role of a, of a bad guy yeah, at times. But it's not the one. It's Bruce Greenwood who has the heart attack. I'm, I, my opinion on this film is, I mean, it's Stephen King. You cannot go wrong. Stephen King always builds that type of drama, and he infuses social commentary and horror. So you can't go wrong with this film. Um, yeah, that's that's about. I'm looking forward to it. It, and it's on Netflix, you know. Netflix, they always have some good stuff, except for that Ad Adam Sandler bullshit that they had the other. What was it last year? <laughs> you I mean, Adam Sandler. That movie was just complete garbage. What That's. Movie? I mean, what was that movie that they were the Magnificent Seven? It was a. It was a, a comedy oh. version of it. Oh, yeah, it's, it was. It was terrible. The one that they looked at like cowboys. Right, they were cowboys. It was so bad that it was. It was so bad that um, Netflix took it off the roster, and then they put it back on. I mean, it must have been like an argument there. Say, yeah, I have a contract. You gotta keep it up for X amount of months. Uh, it was called the Ridiculous Six. In the release. Oh, the Ridiculous Six. I I've seen the Ridiculous Six. Yeah, that was one of. Uh, Netflix. Uh, what, uh, Is that supposed to be like a spinoff of uh, the the um, what's the one with Denzel Washington? Magnificent and Seven. Chris Pratt. Huh. The Magnificent Seven. The was that supposed to be like a spinoff of the Magnificent Seven? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be uh, you know a comedy version of it. Oh jeez. <laughs> which which originates from the idea. The, the the I believe it was Japanese, the the Seven Samurai or something like that. Yeah, it was in 1954, the Seven Samurai, and that changed into the Magnificent Seven, and the Ridiculous Six is uh, is a comedy. 
I think we strayed away from the topic. Yes, we are. Yeah, we strayed away from the topic. So, Stacy, final thoughts on this uh, Stephen King's version of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, oh, yeah, no, it's true. Like I hope it's not that movie. No, no. With an older couple. Well, I said, uh, hopefully it's going according to the book. I have to read it from beginning to end. But from what I hear from people who have read the book, the book is very in depth and. It's very intense. So, you know. <laughs> 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 well, somewhat 50 Shades of Grey has to be bondage. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's clarify. 50 Shades of Grey is bullshit because bondage, <laughs> bondage is not like that. Uh, master and servant gameplay is not like that. Uh, for anyone who wants that real experience, they have to go to a club. There was one called uh, Dungeons in, in Los Angeles. Uh, wow, you've seen them so far. Yeah, I, I believe they're still in existence. And uh, the mutants, I mean, come on. Uh, watching it firsthand, I mean, and you got the industrial and uh, EBM music playing in the background. Oh my gosh, that was... Did I just release some vital information I'm not supposed to there? Shh. Yeah, okay, I'll stay quiet there. Next story. Next story. <laughs> Beyond Skyline. Sorry to drag you down here, man. Son of a bitch. There he is. I know it's been tough on both of you since Rose passed. You are so much smarter than this. Christ knows you didn't get that from me. Beyond Skyline is directed by Liam O'Donnell and is written by Liam O'Donnell. The film is releasing in 2017 and so far it would be releasing in Indonesia but no word on a US release date. The film stars Frank Grillo, Kevin O'Donnell, Callan Novi and while watching the trailer I've seen some familiar faces especially in the Indonesian martial arts action scene. Iko Uwais is in also part of the cast and also Yayan Rulan is in the film. For those unaware, these two actors were in the film The Raid. And if you haven't seen The Raid and you're an action uh, martial arts fan, do check that uh, film out. The synopsis for Beyond Skyline reads as follows. A tough-as-nails detective embarks on a relentless pursuit to free his son from a nightmarish alien warship. Beyond Skyline is the sequel for Skyline that was released in 2010. 
And in this film, the synopsis reads as follows. Strange lights descend on the city of Los Angeles, drawing people outside like moths to a flame, where an extraterrestrial force threatens to swallow the entire human population off the face of the earth. In the trailer Beyond Skyline, we see a similar visual. A giant ship begins to kidnap people and as the trailer develops, we see these alien creatures in warfare with human survivors, a uh, human of rebellion. The shining aspect for this film is, of course, Frank Grillo. He's one of my favorite actors. But you also have action and sci-fi combined in a very good way. I am not a proponent of CGI, but I have to give credit where credit is due. And the CGI for Beyond Skyline is, is phenomenal. It doesn't look cheesy. And the alien costumes, they, they look threatening. Although it does remind me of a particular film where the aliens were taking over Los Angeles. Uh, what was that? Independence Day or something like that? Any? Part 1 or 2. Ah, one of those films. It, it, it begins to all look the same after you see uh, one instance of the film. But in my opinion, uh, I am eager to see Beyond Skyline. The only downfall that I have is the synopsis, well, correction, the narrative, the story behind Frank Grillo's character, Mark, it just, it is so cliche. You have this uh, rough around the edge detective in search of his son. I mean, how many times have you seen that? You've seen that in The Walking Dead, uh, countless other films and TV shows. It's, it's his drive to find that person that he loves. Even Resident Evil, uh, the evil within. They all have that same concept. So that's the only downfall. But if you like action and you like sci-fi, I, I think this is a good watch. So what do you think about this, Inid? Uh, well, since you have your favorite character on it, maybe we should give it a try. I mean, favorite actor, you mean? Stacy, what are your thoughts on Beyond Skyline? Well, the trailer was uh, very intense. Um, but I do agree with you what you said about the character. I mean, that's what, you know, we've seen so much in cinema now. That's the driving force. So, but I, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, and from the looks of it, this is a an independent film. Uh, if you go on to IMDb, uh, I don't see any major players behind this project uh, at all. And, yeah, custom makeup production. No, I don't see no big major distributors attached. So yeah, this is this is a straight to VOD uh, type of film. Which is good because in, if that is the case, and I could be mistaken at this point, uh, that would only mean that the creative direction for this film is 100% in the hands of the writer and director. So isn't that a plus, Stacey? Yes, it is. 
plus, 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 plus. I thought, Enid, I thought you were going to say your famous phrase. Well, <laughs> let's just wait and see. You just want me to, you just want to get it out of me. That's what it is. Yes, I'm giving you. I'm for that, uh, that, that song. I'm going to wait till you drop the song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need some auto tune and some good beats. Yeah, I, I think that could be the next hit. <laughs> you guys are hilarious. And Stacy could have her uh, the next single. You guys should share an album. That's your cue, and then uh, Stacy would have. Uh, it's on my watch list, or it's on my cue. The first date. Hi, my name is Emma. I. I'm looking for a very special person in my life. In the first date, tired of the online dating world, a hopeful woman decides to give it one last try with a mysterious stranger who shares her love for scary films. This comedy horror is directed by Michael Bottino Jr., co-written by Golden Groves. The cast stars Bevan Groves, Sharon, no, Sherry Lynn Litz, Ella Martinez, Leanne Martinez, and Paul McGinnis. Uh, this trailer, what can I say about this trailer? <laughs> it's very weird. You can definitely sense the comedy in it. Um, but it's not really much to form any kind of opinion. Uh, what did you guys think about this trailer? What the fuck did I just finish watching? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh my gosh. Ah. It starts off like a found footage film. You see a woman speaking into the camera. I thought the trailer was going to continue that way, which was going to just, you know, ground my, uh, my take on the trailer because I'm not a fan of found footage films but then it evolved into amateurish camera angles and the acting was just it just didn't click there was no chemistry between the actors and even the visuals I understand this is a indie film it is also uh, an artistic film but have some meaning behind the footage I just did not get what they're trying to explain here um, there were some scenes that uh, delve with obsession I'm unsure if that's what the narrative is about but yeah that's that trailer just it it did not work on any creative level Enid you did not watch the trailer for There's too many of them on YouTube. <laughs> I still haven't been able to get to them. Uh, that's a, you know, you bring up a good point, and that is that so many films have similar titles. But not only that, um, like when you just read the synopsis or you look at the pitch, 
I mean, doesn't it sound familiar? I mean, it's, as far as the trailer, the trailer's just like, okay, I don't even know what to make of this trailer, but the pitch sounds so familiar. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it, it just sounds like these films that's coming out with, you know, online dating and the horrors between online dating, right? Right. And, but when you look at the trailer, it's like, okay, well, maybe this is a little different, I guess. I mean, what was that? <laughs> uh, that's what I said. I opened my statement. What the fuck was that? Oh, like, what, what is it? Oh, please tell me it's not the film. <laughs> please tell me it's like a teaser or something. Uh, Some kind of, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point, Stacy. There have been many films that delve on social commentary of online dating. Uh, and that's that reflects what society is involved in today. There are so many online dating platforms from you know, if you want to date a farmer girl, you have a... a <laughs> Call 1-800-Farmer-Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't advertise it. They paid us for shit. For <laughs> and, and then they be having these songs that they have like this little beast so you don't remember the number. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's true. Those jingles. That's what they call the jingles. <laughs> that's what it is. Oh, man. Uh, let me tell but, you. But also, it's like, I can't really... All the films that I know that are out there, I can't even think of, but like, you know, Megan is missing, which is, of course, is more, probably a little bit more uh, dark than this one, and it's not, it's like pretty much horror. But, um, what else? You said social commentary, so friend requests is kind of delving into this a little bit, right? What about that movie that came out, you said it was a short film, was it Date Night? Remember that? It, the, it was a short film. Right. That does uh, that does ring that does ring a bell. Date night. Yes. Yeah, because we we did. I think we did a um a, a review on the short film. Or was it a trailer? Was it a trailer first impression we did? Right. I think it was a trailer first impression. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it, it's just um there. It's starting to sound like the rest, really, but and so that one thing that's for certain, that trailer is something special. It is special, and uh, it goes in a special category. Uh, let's just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll come out with an official <laughs> trailer. <laughs> yeah, I mean... If you're trying to, um, the point I was trying to make, uh, there's so many platforms from the farmer uh, perspective, all the way to bondage. Uh, there's a forum out there, and there is also, uh, yeah, I think it's just a forum on, on, on the website. And yeah, you could just connect with anyone who shares the same idea uh, and uh, the same fetishes as, as you do. And you'll wind up in a situation that uh, the protagonist is in Gerald's game. So if you want to experience being handcuffed to a bed and uh, dogs gnawing on your leg, uh, do check out that platform. Uh, but this film does not project that. 
I mean, that's what happens to the woman. She gets a dog is not on her leg. Oops. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, this trailer does not do it for me. It does not convey social commentary, artistic value. Uh, th- what the filmmaker needs to do is just sit down. If you're going to present something that's artistic, uh, convey that message. Even in the trailer, convey something. I get a see. Let's just wait and see. Thank you for that intellectual insight. You are Dementia 13. I never told you what happened to my sister. She was only six. She loved the water. She loved to play games. We buried her right over there. So do you really plan on giving it away? You should have given it away a long time ago. I have seen Mrs. Holloran playing children's games by herself. Dementia 13. This is the next film project from Chiller and is directed by Richard LeMay and is written by Dan DeFilippio and Justin Smith. According to INDB, there is no plot outline. And for that case, we jump to the 1963 version of Dementia 13, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And we had mentioned him earlier that he had directed Bram Stoker's Dracula. And for those who are unaware, Francis Ford Coppola is uh, notable for The Godfather. The synopsis for Dementia 13, the 1963 version, reads as follows. While out on a rowboat with his wife Louise, John Halloran has a heart attack and dies. She casts his body overboard and hides his death, telling the family he left on an urgent business trip. Louise's main concern is that she can only hope to inherit part of his family's fortune if he's still alive. The Hollerans are a strange family. They are still grieving over the death of the youngest daughter Kathleen who drowned in a pond when she was a young child. The family hold an annual ceremony of remembrance on the anniversary of her death. But this year Someone is wielding an axe intent on murder. Now, that is the synopsis for the 1963 version. And um, watching the trailer for this remake, you can almost make the parallels between the 1963 film and the 2017 release. You have a family confined to a what looks to be a a, a manor and a serial killer is out and about picking each member of the family off one by one in search of revenge Uh, my take on this trailer I enjoyed the cinematics the acting was you could you could feel the acting it seems uh, believable plausible But for some reason, I cannot associate a group of privileged 
people, rich people in an environment where serial killer is out and about. It just doesn't convey that type of connection to the average uh, audience member. Uh, if it was in a different setting, perhaps that would change the course in this instance. I have not seen the 1963 film, so I cannot weigh my opinion on a comparison, but I do see the similarities with the synopsis. Uh, Stacy, have you seen this trailer? What were your initial impressions? Um, I have seen the trailer and I liked it. I did not see the original movie. Um, but I, I felt like this, this uh, trailer was actually pretty dark. Dark in its tone or dark in the... Uh, the narrative and what's going on with this family yeah just like you know what's going on with the family pretty much um it, remind, it reminds me of like maybe a what is it like a supernatural film or something like that exactly exactly there were elements of the supernatural there yeah yeah they were ghosts right I saw that and I was I did not make a note of it because I wanted to see if uh, that was going to be brought up a girl she had her, like white eyes for a second there and you see dolls moving that that makes you think is that a dream sequence or is it actually happening to the family because we know there's a serial killer out hunting them down so is the it's a ghost hunting them and the ghost is the same no I <laughs> nah, that's true but maybe the main character uh, maybe she's dreaming that something supernatural because in the trailer she's just acting wacky and uh, there are hints that she is playing by herself playing with herself wait that didn't sound right she's playing child games <laughs> with herself <laughs> whoa that did not sound right she's playing child games with herself and maybe she's dreaming these supernatural sequences right i guess so yeah i don't know i i just have to give it a watch it's just i cannot associate a uh, a group of rich privileged uh, main characters getting because you don't have that connection like alright so you you know whatever uh, maybe the butler did it you know come on it just doesn't convey that believability I know let's wait and see Oh, they should have it. Wow, that was kind of creepy right there. <laughs> <laughs> Act of making more creepier. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, final thoughts on this film, Stacey? Um, yeah, I definitely can't wait to see it. And it even makes me want to go back and look at the original film, too. Use of 1963. Yeah. 
Seen dementia 13. No. I was gonna say, how would you, uh, what have you seen the church? And how would you like compare it with 1962 as far as like, say, like the trailer goes? Yeah, that that I'll have to watch. I'll, you know what? I'll have to watch this new remake and I'll have to watch the 63 version and yeah, uh, yeah make the comparisons there. Uh, you know. In '63, I think they, I think they did get away with more violent content at that time. I know the '70s were the films were more violent, but I'm unsure yeah. if the '60s were violent or not. I'm uncertain. '63 um, or '60s, I think. Oh, I think what like the '60s um, or no, you know, I may be even thinking further back than this. I was gonna say, isn't that the um, the decade where, in like in horror movies, you imagine what's happening more so than see it on screen? Or that's probably an older decade or an earlier decade. Well, yeah, uh, Alfred Hitchcock was good for that type of psychological impact on the audiences. He didn't have to present uh, on-screen violence. Everything was just subjective. And uh, yeah. during the 70s, that's when more violent content was displayed on scene. You had I Spit in Your Grave was in 1978. And, uh, but did I hear, um, was it, uh, did I hear that, was it one of the um, most violent films around the time, was it the original Blood Feast? Well, Blood Feast, yeah, Blood... Yes, that, uh, yeah, I think I've uh, heard Love Feast is 1963. Right. And that seemed <laughs> even very violent and gory for its time. Yes, that was. And uh, Tenebrae, right? Tenebrae was another. Well, that's the 80s, though, so Tenebrae. Yeah, during the, during the 70s and 80s when violent content started coming about. Yeah, okay. Which yeah. I really um, miss those times. Those are some great films. Oh yeah, I finally saw um well I have to revisit Tenebrae because I actually yeah, I fell asleep on it, but Deep Red. I remember Deep Red, I saw that and I saw um Blood Feast. That was good. I can't wait for the remake. Yeah, the remake is right around the corner and we've been covering um, it for a while. We've been talking about that for a while, so it's, it's actually taking them a long time to bring out that remake. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we actually, uh, you interviewed uh, the actress for that film, and that's yeah, that's it's been a while. Yes. <laughs> Right, because we interviewed Sadie Katz. Sadie Katz, yeah. she was supposed to uh, that movie. She was supposed to be in with the with the cats that they. Yeah, remember any uh, that the cats were that? were were demons. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Yeah, because yeah, I we read the book. Right. And then I watched the movie, and I was like, oh, I don't remember that. 
And how was the name of that film? Or not film, book. What's the name of that book? I wonder if it's in production yet. Let me see. Let me just looking it up. I'm not seeing it in IMDb, so it probably even hasn't even uh, started production yet. Yeah, and she stars in Blood Feast. And uh, Blood Feast, yeah, it's taking too long. Uh, I was looking forward to that that film uh, because the remake is supposed to be an elevated uh, platform of violence. And we had seen the stills for the picture for that uh, film, and it does look violent. And uh, Magi Creatures was the film that with the with the cats, right? And uh, yeah, Maggie Creatures had a crowdfunding on Indiegogo, I believe, and they did not get all the money because that film was supposed to be all practical effects, and you know that costs that costs money, and we haven't heard much for that one. But Sadie Cats was in Blood Feast, the remake, and we're still waiting. I'm eager to see that film. Well, one thing is for sure that. It looks like um, Blood Feast. I mean, there's some reviews on here. Maybe it's just not released to the public. Yeah. Well, per- I'm, I'm only seeing one review, but right now it's showing 8.2 out of 10. Mm, I think 594 reviews. That is wicked. You know what? I'm going to write to the director. I say, hey, excuse me, where is Blood Feast? We're eagerly awaiting to review this film. Yeah, because, I mean, you got some critic reviews as well, so it looks like it's been released, just not publicly yet. Yeah. Maybe just screen screeners. And that's what we do, screeners. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome to see. I think we strayed away from the topic here. Well... Oh, we sure did, didn't we? We I did, so didn't sorry. we? We <laughs> have a tendency to stray away from topic, don't we? Uh, yes, yeah. we've been doing that a lot. But you know what? People enjoy it because that's how conver- good conversations go. You start with one topic and then you go into something else. And uh, yeah, that's that's how you get into a good debate, good conversation. For Dementia 13, I close it out by saying I have to watch the original. And then watch this remake and make an analysis uh, of the two. And I think this is the second film from Chiller because Chiller did release Fender Bender last year, which had mixed reviews. I, I enjoyed oh, I it. I love that movie. You, you enjoyed it, right? I love that movie. Right, it was good. It was a good uh, home invasion. Oh, I would call it a home invasion. Need did not see it. She's giving me the look like, oh, what is Friend of Ben? It sounds like a cartoon. Oh, it's so good. Need, you gotta watch it. It's um, it's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's a good movie. It's good. And for Chiller's first film, it was good. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode for DK Mag Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 8. My name is Ken Artus, founder and editor for DKMag.com. And I was joined tonight by... 
Beginning Artus Content Contributor for DKMag.com and don't forget to listen to our podcast on Google Music. Stacy Cox, staff correspondent. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher rating and reviews and help us frame. And also, I would like to extend thanks to everyone who has tuned in to DK Mag Podcast. We are closing in on 7,000 downloads, which is a great achievement. Uh, we are growing exponentially, and uh, we are so proud to be providing coverage on the indie horror scene, uh, which seems to be our central focus. And uh, without that, you know, the indie circuit is what's propelling horror forward. Good night.